Ready? Uh, my name is Josh Burnham, lead pastor here at Bethel, and what a joy it is to open up God's Word with you and, and ask God to change our lives through His Son, by His Spirit. Why do we gather? We gather because if you're a Christian, and I don't assume that everyone here or listening is a Jesus follower. You might think you are, or you might be here because someone invited you, and you just think that's what you should do. So I don't want to make the assumption that everyone here is a Christ follower. But if you are a Jesus follower, if you've given your life to him and by faith, we gather because we don't know what else to do. Jesus said do it, so we, we have the faith to say if Jesus wants us to do it, we want to do it. We gather because of the gospel. Right? And it's as simple as this. It's as simple and it's as mysterious as Jesus in our place. One day I'm going to get to heaven, I'm going to, I'm at, maybe if I get the chance, I'm going to ask God, God, why? Why did you give your only son for me? Because I have a son, and I wouldn't do that for you. I'm just being honest, okay? And I wouldn't do that for people who hate me. And yet Jesus died for us when we were still sinners. How could we not gather in awe of a God like that? So we gather because of the gospel. Listen, if you're new here and you're thinking, what have I gotten myself into? It's called the Holy Spirit. Um, and you are here because the Holy Spirit is drawing you and he is working in you, even if you can't see. So we want to simply say we're excited that God's doing something in your life. So if you're not new, can we thank everyone who's watching online and who and our guests today? We'll just thank them for being here. Um, why do we do that? Because we know God is working in your life. It's not a fair fight. Christians don't fight fair. We fight with the Holy Spirit. And what a profound truth that is. I was preparing for this message and, and I heard a quote by a young man. And he was on fire for God. And someone asked him, why, why are you worshiping? Why are you serving? Why do you live like you do? And this is what he said. The man said, Jesus has done too much for me. The rest of my life is a P.S. to his great work. He said, Jesus has done so much for me, the rest of my life is a P.S. to his great work. That is the essence of Ephesians chapter 4. A sermon I've entitled, A Walk in Grace. It's God has done so much for us, we can't help. We can't help but live for him. So let's read the first six verses, and then we'll read the last 16 verses later today. Join me in the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, Paul says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. So let's pause there. Everything that we read flows downhill from grace. So Everything we see in the Word of God from this point forward is by those who have already received the Word of God, received by faith the gift of salvation. You see, we as Jesus followers don't work to earn our salvation. We work from our salvation. So grace has been received now, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience 
bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. There is one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope at your calling. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. And there is one God. If you're counting, there are seven ones in this. The number of completion. Who is above all and through all and in all. We serve God not for our salvation, but we serve Him from our salvation. So let's pray once again and ask God to illuminate our hearts as we jump into His Word. Father, may our lives today, Lord, be like this man who said that Jesus has done so much for us. Lord, we want our lives to be a PS to your grace and your mercy. Lord, our heart is burdened for the suffering of our world. Lord, for those suffering today, would you comfort them? For those who are not near you, Lord, would you draw them near? Lord, they are here today because you want them to hear a message of hope and love. Because you want them to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. To be made right with you. Lord, would that happen today? May today be the day of their salvation. And Lord, for those who know you, who have received by faith the gift, Lord, may we live for you as a picture and as a thank you of your unending mercy. So Lord, work in us through your Spirit that we would leave here changed. That we would be doers and not just hearers of your living, eternal word. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, these first six verses discuss a, a walk of faith. Um, if you've been here longer than a week, you've realized that for the first three chapters, Paul has made great effort to describe to the, the church at Ephesus God's unending grace. Remember last week, Paul said, I hope that you can comprehend God's love for you. The love that's uncomprehendable. Right? That, that's how much God loves you and, and cares for you. Paul says that you've been elected and adopted through the blood of the Messiah. In chapter 1. That you are made right before God in verse 7 of chapter 1. That your sins have been forgiven. That you have been made alive spiritually. That you have been saved by grace through faith. It's not of works so that none of us would boast. Because our boasting is nothing in the presence of a holy God. Paul is setting up for us the immense riches of God's mercy and His grace. This is what you call orthodoxy. This is right knowledge of God. Because if your thinking about God is not right, then you'll never know Him fully. But now we're going to get to orthopraxy. Paul is saying, not only do you need to know what is good and right about Jesus Christ, you also need to do something about it. Because this is what the Bible teaches us. You can have right knowledge about God and not be in right relationship with Him. And I know we're bad at this, and that really makes us uncomfortable. Because we pride ourselves on our Bible studies. We pride ourselves on right thinking. 
And yet, God says, Josh, you can think right things about me and not know my son Jesus. And that should terrify us. You see, orthodoxy always has to lead to orthopraxy. Dean and Sarah in his book, The Unsaved Christian, calls people who think rightly about God but don't have faith to believe rightly, he calls those unsaved Christians. I know that's not a real word because you can't be a Christian and be unsaved. And to these people, I think that's what Paul is urging us. It's the same thing that Jesus says in Luke 6. The disciples are near, the the larger group of disciples are near Jesus and Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? Is that not an odd thing for Jesus to say? Because we would, we would argue it's a good thing to call Jesus Lord, correct? That's a good thing. That's a, that's a right knowledge to have. But Jesus says in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord and don't do the things that I say? Eww. Jesus is saying, you think rightly about me, but you don't have a relationship with me. And everything here today is to say, God, we need you. It's just the worthy walk of grace. And that's why Paul says right here, to those who have received the gift of salvation. When you receive the gift of salvation, you become worthy. So we're not walking to be worthy. We are walking as Christians because He has made us worthy. That's how you can stand before the throne of God one day. And when God says, why should I let you into my heaven? Our answer is not, God, I'm a good person. Or I was a member of a Southern Baptist church. Or God, look at what I've done for you. Or look at the right things I believed. All we can say is nothing and point to say, but there's your son Jesus. He died for me. And God, you promised that all who put their faith in Jesus, that his blood will wash us clean and we are forgiven and we no longer have to live in shame. And Lord, we don't have to try to become worthy. When Jesus died, we are made worthy. We are made right. You see, orthodoxy always leads to us doing something right for Jesus. That's why Romans 10 says, you confess with your mouth and you believe with your your heart. Because it's faith that leads us in this walk, this worthy walk of grace. So what does that look like? What does this worthy walk of grace look like? Well, verse 2, Paul says, you walk by faith with Humility. Now, in my opinion, I am the most humble person in the world. But I'm working on it. So, we should walk with humility. Now, if you think this is ridiculous, because anyone who thinks himself humble is probably not humble. The Greek word was actually a a slanderous term. They didn't speak of humility because they felt like humility was weakness. And it wasn't until the second century that humility actually became a virtue. It wasn't virtuous for the Greeks, it was virtuous for the Christians. Because it was not until Jesus Christ humbled himself, as Philippians 2 says. It was not until he humbled himself that the world, for the first time, saw a picture of humility and perfect gentleness wrapped up in the incarnation. And Paul says to us, 
Walk with humility. What does that look like? Well, humility is this. It's not being overly impressed with your self-importance. The Bible always has a way of cutting our hubris at the knees, doesn't it? Really, Jesus is telling you today, you're not as important as you think you are. Now, I know some of us grew up and your parents said, you can be anything you want to be because you, you hung the moon. Your mama was wrong. And I know my mama listens to this on the week. Mom, you were wrong. Because we are not that important. Jesus should be the most important thing in our lives. Does God want us to have self-worth? Absolutely, because you are created in His image. Listen, we are created in the image of God. Let that sink in. But you are not the most important thing. We should not be overly impressed with ourselves as Christians. A worthy walk shows the world that Jesus is most important. If you can't laugh at yourself, something's wrong. Because none of us are where we should be yet. But one day in Jesus we will be. When we walk this worthy walk of grace, we walk with humility. And may I submit to you, we have lost humility in a world that says, be anything that you want to be. You make your life. And as Christians, we say, no, that's not us. We walk with humility because Jesus is most important. This worthy walk continues. We walk as Christians not only with humility and gentleness, but with with patience. Um, Patience is not a passive rest. Patience really is is active. It's it's an active attack. Some of us think that, that patience is sitting with folded hands with your candle meditated in your back bedroom when the world's falling apart. Fernando Ajith says it this way, Christian patience is an active thing. It conveys the idea of a positive endurance rather than a quiet acceptance. Christian, when you live with patience at the self-checkout aisle, you know who you are. When you live with patience on the interstates, When you pump gas and the pump cuts you off because you've hit your limit now. We live with patience. Because we are modeling to the world that God is patient with us. We are modeling to the world as as Peter says. Remember Peter is the one who denied Jesus three times. Peter is the one that Jesus said, hey bro you're going to deny me. And Peter said, the whole world will deny you but not me. I'm the most humble person in the world. It was Peter that when he denied Jesus three times and he heard the rooster crow, it hit him. That I've done what I never thought was possible. It was Peter that was on the beach that Jesus ate the fish and asked him three times, Peter, do you really love me? Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said... You know I love you. And Jesus said, Peter, are you sure that you love me? 
Peter needed to hear three times that the love of God would forgive him after every denial that he had committed. It was this Peter who said, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but he is patient with you. Anyone thankful for God's patience today? Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. When we live with patience, we are showing the world that God is not delayed, but He is patient because He wants the world to come know Him. That's why we live with patience. We live with patience because we want God to be patient with us. And He is by His Spirit. A worthy walk walks with patience. A worthy walk continues. We Walk in humility and we walk with patience. We bear one another in love. Now it's interesting. This Greek word is you are bearing with someone that you find annoying. Look right at me. Everyone look right at me right now. Don't look around. We all have annoying people in our lives, don't we? Look at me right here. You know, the one that that slurps their cereal when they get to the end. Like a camel. It's the one who, they think the left lane is the slow lane. I'm like, Lord, you just sent them right there to make me patient. The sign says it is illegal to drive in that lane. Sorry. You know, the one who texts while drives. Or maybe the one that grinds their teeth when they get nervous. And maybe that's not on your list. But we all have those people, don't we? And to the ones who annoy us most, again, look at me right here. No one looking around. We're reminded that when we are annoying to the Father because of our life, That he doesn't treat us and he doesn't forgive us out of his annoyance. He forgives us out of his love. Because Jesus has taken rebels and made us right with him. God says, I know you still grind your teeth, but we're working on it. That's what the spirit is for. I know you're driving slow in the left lane, but Jesus is still working on you. I know you're still struggling with that sin, but the Holy Spirit won't leave you alone. God won't let you get that way to heaven. He's going to refine you and work on you. See, this is why we bear with one another in love, because God bears with us in love through the blood of His Son. And so we walk in love towards others, even those who annoy us, as the Greek says. If you think, man, this is enough sermon, let's go home. Paul continues. Walk with humility, we walk with gentleness and patience, we bear with one another in love, and we make every effort to keep unity. Church, peace takes effort. You don't fall into peace. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. We, we have to... Make effort. And Jesus has given us peace, but we have to maintain it. Because some of us are still annoying. Apparently, according to Ephesians. And it is the peace and the bond of the Spirit that causes us to maintain unity with each other. 
This is the power of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I read this and think, how could we ever live up to this standard? I pray in the morning and say, God, do you realize how many annoying people are in my life? And the Holy Spirit reminds me, they said, Josh, do you realize how much you annoy people because you're in their life? And I said, that's not my prayer. <laughs> like we're having sanctification in the morning. Lord, that's not what we're praying about right now. I'm praying about them. We look at this and I say, how do we live this out? Because I don't know about you, but I'm not as humble as I want to be. And I'm not as gentle as I should be. And I'm not as patient as God wants me to be. And I'm not as loving as the Spirit has led me to be yet. And we're not as unified as we could be. And we haven't understood peace as God has given it to us. How could this be possible? And to the one who asked that question, the reminder is when you walk the worthy walk of grace, you never walk it alone. God doesn't say, go try, good luck. He says, I have given you my spirit to make you humble. I have given you my spirit to make you peaceful. I have given you my spirit to maintain the bonds of love. I have have given you my spirit. And listen, Jesus makes us worthy. So we're not trying to earn God's grace. We are walking in his grace. So what does that look like? When we begin to embrace the walk that God has empowered us through the Spirit, we begin in verse 7, as Paul says, Now grace, dot, dot, dot. Let's read verse 7. Now grace was given to each one of us. Listen, if you have given your life to Christ, that's you. So let's read it this way. If you are a Christ follower, grace was given to me according to the measure of Christ's gift. I've often wondered, what type of measuring device did Jesus use? He was a carpenter. I don't know if we have a an earthly measuring tape that could actually measure the immense blessings that Jesus has for his people. He says in verse 8, When he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. Jesus is the best gift giver that you've ever known. Verse 9, But what does he ascended mean except that he descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now, I'm not going to cover this, but I believe this is a poetic description of the, the heavenly things and the earthly things. Some would say that Jesus descended into hell and preached a message to the captives and that those who had not received Christ were able to again hear the gospel. I think this is poetically describing the incarnation. If you have questions, email me later and we can have that conversation. Um, I think that's a, healthy, that's a healthy, deeper dive into the scripture. But we can't do it right now. Verse 10. He descended far above the heavens to fill all things. Verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, equipping the saints. Now stop there. If you have given your life to Jesus, you are a saint. You are a saint. 
So if you've given your life to Christ, this is where you raise your hand and you say, God, that's me. Now, I know sometimes we don't feel very saintly. Because in our minds, your minds either go to two things. You, you feel like you, you deserve a, a halo from the 16th century with gold leaf painting. Or some of you feel like you, you need shoulder pads and a gold helmet and a fleur-de-lis on that helmet. So th- those are the two images of saints. You either go football or reformation. But that's not the biblical definition of saints. Look around. This is what the saint looks like. When you look in the mirror, if you've given your life to Christ, you are a saint. When we wake up in the morning, Satan should say, oh great, he put on his armor again. Here we go. The saints are awake. And they are fighting the good fight of faith. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in faith, until the knowledge of God's Son, growing and maturing with a stature measured, again twice, measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown away by every wind of teaching that we find on social media. Sorry, that's my translation. Is this not us? Can this not easily be us? By human cunning cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into Him who is the head Christ. From Him the whole body fit and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Paul is saying that those who walk the walk of faith and grace now are part of this wealthy community. And the community is wealthy because Jesus measures the grace. Not you and not me. Because if we were measuring grace, people that we like would get more, wouldn't they? And people who were not kind of in the friend zone would not receive as much grace. But Jesus measures grace and he gives freely and he gives abundantly. And that's saving grace. But the grace that Paul is discussing here is service grace. Did you know there are two types of grace? There is grace that saves and there's grace that sustains. You Sometimes we, we feel like when God saves us, that's it. He saved us to heaven, the work is over. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus gives us service grace. And this grace is given that through each and every saint, we might accomplish God's holy purpose in His church, in our community, and in our lives. And if you have given your life to Christ, verse 7, He gives you grace, service grace, to do something for the kingdom. So if you've given your life to Christ, you have a spiritual gift. It's there. And I think there are times in our life, and maybe this is you, you've grown up in church or you've been in this church and you're frustrated 
And you don't know why. You know that you're saved, but you're frustrated and you can't figure it out. Is it because God has gifted you and you are not using the service grace that he has given you? He's filled your tank, but you haven't used it. He's fueled you, but the fuel's not being burned. I think there are times in our life where we're frustrated and we say, God, what's wrong? And he says, well, you're not doing anything. And maybe today as you see this, you for the first time realize that God has gifted you to make a difference and you are not making that difference, but God is not giving up on you. God is saying, I still want you to make a difference and I have fueled you to make a difference. In the local church, these gifts are given to fit and to measure for the ministry of the saints in the whole body, verse 16. Spiritual gifts are used in the local church. So for those who say, well, I don't need the church, then that's why you're frustrated because you can't use your spiritual gift. And the Spirit's not going to let you go until you use it. Because God is patient. He's not giving up on us. Will you let God use you today? This is exactly Paul's heart for the church. And I would say to our students, we have some here and they're scattered throughout. The Holy Spirit is not waiting for you to mature and be an adult to be used by God. I would submit, let me speak to the adults. You guys are off the hook. I would submit that some of our students are more spiritually mature than some of our adults. Because maturity is not necessarily longevity. Maturity is based upon faith, walking daily with the Savior. And I would say, I'm, I'm not going to let them outserve me. They might have more energy. They work, they work harder, but I'm going to work smarter. That's wisdom. But may we set the example that we are trying to outdo each other in grace and love because we can't outdo each other in grace and love. This is the heart of what Paul says. So what service grace has God given you? If you say, well, I don't know. Um, we would love to help you this week. If you want to fill out that Connect card, connect with, on, with us online, we would love to help you figure out your spiritual gift. That's the Holy Spirit's job, but we can encourage you. Because I don't want you to sit here frustrated, wanting to serve and make a difference and see many come to faith and not know what that is. That's why Paul is, is writing this. And he says all of these things. We walk in grace, in this wealthy community of grace, and we do so by speaking the truth in love in verse 15. That's not the best translation. Uh, the word speak is never used in verse 15. Um, the, the Greek actually sounds like this. From him, the whole body being fit and knit together, he says verse 15, that the people of God should be truthing in love. Truthing in love. It's just who we are. And it's what we do. You see, the wealth of God's grace is displayed when you live out His sustaining grace in your life in this beautifully diversified kingdom called the church. Paul is writing to the Ephesians and he's saying, guys, don't be like Josh. 
Because your gift is different than my gift, and my gift is different than your gift, but you have a gift, and use that, because the grace that saves you is the grace that sustains you, and it's the grace that fuels you. Don't leave here with closed hands. Leave here with open hands and saying, God, you have given, and I will serve you, and I will make a difference. This is Paul's heart for the church that will one day be fit and knit together in a beautiful picture of God's multifaceted wisdom. So what do we do with this? We walk in grace in this wealthy community when we sound like the man who said... Jesus has done so much for me. I want my life to be a PS for the rest of my life. I want my life to be a thank you to God's grace in Him. So church, how's your walk today? How's your walk? We walk worthy because Jesus walked to the cross. He emptied Himself of His glory and in humility He took on human flesh. With patience, Jesus calls us to confess our sins. And it's the reminder that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It is in love that the Father unites us to Himself through the atoning death of the cross. It is through the resurrection that we have peace with God. We are made right forever and never have to worry about our eternal status. How can we be what what the Bible wants us to be? Because we walk worthy because Jesus makes us into who he wants us to be. How's your walk today? This is not an arbitrary list Paul is saying, walk like Jesus walked because he is making you look like him one day at a time. How's your walk? How's your service? Are you serving God like you have been gifted? I'm not saying like you want to. Are you serving God like he's gifted you? Because I've found this in my life to be true. When I pour out my life in the giftedness that God has given me through His Spirit, I'm exhausted and I can't get enough. Have you ever felt that way? Where you've just poured out your your life to God and you you can't explain it, but it feels like every time you pour out your life, He fills you up in equal or greater measure. That's service grace. Will you serve Him? Will you find how God wants you to serve Him? Maybe you're here and you've realized that you're not a Jesus follower. Would you give your life to Christ today? Paul tells us that you can can have right knowledge about God and not be in right relationship with Him. Would you be... Like my friend, I, I, got a, I got a text a couple hours ago. And my friend says, hey, um, I just want you to know that my daughter gave her life to Christ today. I don't know if that was over cartoons or coffee. 
I do know it was the Holy Spirit at work. Maybe that's you. Maybe for the first time you need to give your life to Christ because what you believe is not how you live. If you're asking, how do I do that? This is how you give your life to Christ. You first say, God, I need help. And you second say, God, I can't help myself. And I believe by faith that Jesus took my place. God, forgive me of my sins. I turn to you. That's what the Bible calls repentance. God, I will follow you. And I will start today. God, give me the faith to believe. Give me the faith to receive. And there is not a single prayer of repentance that God has dismissed. Not only that, did you know the Bible says that when a sinner comes to Christ, you know what heaven does? They don't give the golf clap. Heaven rejoices. I I believe heaven thunders when a sinner comes to faith. Would that be you today? Would you say, God, I need the grace that saves because I want the grace that sustains? So I'm going to ask you to do that. If you've never given your life to Christ, right where you sit right now, would you give your life to Jesus? Would you say, God, help me. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe by faith that you can make me right. God, I need that. Because I don't just need right understanding. I need a right life. And when that happens, church, we walk in rightness before him. That's how we live out our faith. Father, we come thankful.